How are you today? I am so glad that you're here braving the great polar vortex of 2024. You made it. You know, I moved here from Chicago, if you remember, when, when we came here. And um, I remember, actually, do you know, it's 13 years today, uh, to the Sunday, that uh, we moved here uh, and started at Wendover Hills. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we moved in, and there was a group that, that came and said, uh, we'll help you move in. And there was like, a, a, it snowed that day. Um, and in Chicago, you don't, you don't say it snowed when it's a dusting of snow. Like, that's nothing. That's just a day. Uh, but here was a dusting of snow, so we're like, oh, ooh, I don't know if we'll get people to help you move in. It's snow. Um, we've been here 13 years. Um, it's hard to, hard to believe, but I have, I have transitioned. I am you now. Um, I am just as whiny about the cold now. Um, over 13 years, the blood has thinned, um, and uh, I would like it to warm up. So, um, hey, uh, I haven't told you this, though. Um, when we moved here, we decided as a family, our family of five, that when we got here, we would not move again until our youngest finished high school. Um, now, that hope was that I'd be at Wendover Hills that long, and you've been gracious enough to let me stay but, uh, but our, our, like in the Piedmont or this, this uh, Greensboro area, we thought we're going to be here to our youngest is done with high school. We don't want to uproot them again, and so we'll, we'll stay. Um, our oldest was going, it was middle of sixth grade then. So that took 12 and a half years to happen. And last May, our youngest graduated from high school, and so she's done. And there was that thinking six months leading up to that as, you know, we're kind of released when we hit that point you know like we could just okay like where do you where do we want to go lord what do you want to do what's the next chapter those type of things can i just tell you that like that lasted i don't know if it lasted a month after her graduation um and i just felt the lord so impressed on me with joy this idea of of like like this is it's home it's your community um, it's where you face your ministry challenges. It's like, this is where you're embedded. This is where I have you. So not everything, you know, is always easy. Certainly, it's a wonderful, relational, and caring place. So just hunker right down and keep going. Um, and I think when I emerged from hearing that from the Lord, um, not that I wasn't excited, but there was nothing uh, comparable other than maybe the honeymoon, you know, when you show up for a new job and you're like, I love this job. Um, I was just feeling, man, I'm excited to be here to see what the Lord might do in this little community church uh, for the next however many years uh, you'll or, or he will allow. Um, now, I forgot to tell you that back in July or so, or I wasn't quite sure, like, do they care, <laughs> you know? Um, like, okay, get to the sermon. Um, so seven months later, though, that's how I feel today. I feel the same as in that moment. So uh, you don't have to clap for that. That's not, um, so... Um, so you see that, Pastor Anson? I mean, Pastor Anson gives an announcement up front, you know, about some game night, and he gets an innovation. I got to say, I'm staying after 13 years for, I finally, finally get some clap. I, I'm, I don't even know how to move on. Now, if you'll join with me and plug in, because uh, listen, we don't need to continue, me here and you here, just like to hang out together, all right? I mean, we like each other. We'll do that. Uh, if you will join with me to say, let's see what God wants to do for his kingdom right here on Joy Drive, 
then I'm raring to go, uh, if you're raring to go as well, to see what does the Lord have for us in this, uh, in this church. So, uh, so anyhow, that's my, uh, is that sappy enough story for you to, to start? Okay, all right, good, good. Let's move on. Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're in the third week of this series, and what's prompted the series is ask this question. Look, you became a Christian, all right? You, you said a prayer once. You've been titled a Christian um, what is the next most important thing in this thing we call Christianity? It has to be more than a title, right? It has to be more than I, saying, I said a prayer, I went to this camp, um, I, I had this experience. What is the next most important thing? It turns out the next important thing is everything. And we're calling it this, to grow a real relationship with God through prayer. What we're saying is we're going to really lean into this idea, embed ourselves, and just get engulfed with this concept that being before God and praying and interacting with God on this relational level is the next most important thing to anything you might experience from now on in your Christianity, which means more important than coming to church, Tom? Yeah, even more important than that. A prayer group, you know, a small group? Yeah, more important than that. Now, somebody heard me say, Tom, Pastor Tom said we didn't have to come to church anymore. Um, not what Pastor Tom said. <laughs> um, but let's not get the order wrong that the most important, the next most important thing is you growing a real relationship with God through prayer. And I think the disciples thought this too because one day they said, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And I told you, like, look, if I came up to you one day and you were praying for your meal, like, you know, Patrick and I, we like to go to, uh, what's the name of that restaurant we go to? Pa yeah, I just know we get the nachos every time. That, that's all we get every time. Um, but, like, if, if Patrick said, I'll pray for our meal today, and I said, ah, why don't you let me do it? You don't do it right. That would be offensive, right? Yeah, Sure. Jesus is being asked, teach us to pray. And what Jesus is going to come back with is he's going to challenge them, and, and he is going to teach them how to pray in a way that they're not used to praying. They do a lot of reciting of psalms when they pray. That's how they would have grown up learning to pray. We have grown up, and we've learned a way to pray ourselves. It's not reciting psalms. Our way of learning how to pray, Lord, hi there. Hope you're doing good. I'm doing good. Let me get to my list. And then we go through our list. And then we say, I got to go. And that's how we've been conditioned. So Jesus teach us how to pray. And so Jesus is going to respond. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to go through this thing we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you may have grown up in your church reciting this every Sunday, um, maybe just during the service or, or at the end of uh, the offering time. Uh, but it, it shows up. So you may know it. If you don't, we're going to track right through it. First page in your notes, we're just going to review what we've talked about. So if you missed the last couple of weeks, you get a Cliff Notes version. You can always go back and get the full version uh, on your own on, on our webpage. Teach us to pray, Lord. And then what they're asking is, you do it some way that's different than us. Or there's something that's lacking in our prayer. Now, I think if you and I were doing it, we would say, like, teach us to pray, Lord. Like, how do we... How do we ask for what we want or what we, purpose, what we need? Like, how do we do that, Lord? So teach us to pray. The same thing for them. They're saying teach us to pray, and they have their own kind of preconceived thought of what prayer is. And, you know, the good news for us is when we think of, of how we've been conditioned to pray, 
Jesus actually addresses how we've been conditioned in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Oh, you already know my, my, my list. Yeah, I know about that list. I've known about that list for quite a while. And so if God already knows the list, what question does that prompt for you and I? Why pray then? Why? Why would we even pray? Because we've been conditioned to this thought of, of we ask and we seek and we bring our petitions before God. Now, Jesus is going to get there, but it's not yet. Why do we pray? And Jesus says, great, got you right where I want you. Let me tell you why you pray. This then is how you should pray, he starts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with this, that you declare who God is. You lift him up above yourself. Listen, I know this is like Christianese. Like you hear this and you go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that one. Let's move on to the next point. But if it doesn't translate practically, like if it's not how we really live out our lives, if we're not really saying, I live out my life as this is God and this is me. Then when we go to him in prayer and we just tag a little line at the beginning where I say, great is your name, holy is your name, you're wonderful. What's the next thing, Jesus? Okay, I'll go into that. We're not quite getting the impact of what this is. Not the impact of saying it, but also we're not quite getting the impact in our heart that would start to transform us and put us in a place where we know I am not him in any way. And yet, he says, come to me and call me father. Come to me and have this beautiful, intimate, connected relationship with me. And so, Jesus is teaching us, if that's the relationship, if that's how it all works, let's at very least start out and say, our father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Lifted up, praised, honor, great is your name. Did you notice something in there that you, we read past and it's subtle sometimes, but we pray to the Father. We're allowed to pray to the Father direct. Jesus gives us access to the Father, but we pray to the Father. We're not praying to Jesus. We're not praying to Mary. We're praying directly to the Father. That's how we're invited into this, this form of relationship. What follows is why we pray. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I tell you, I, I, I'm involved in church multiplication. I handle the, the budget for our district for church plants. So when a church comes or a planner moves to the area and they're interested, I help put together financial packages for those plants to get launched. Can I tell you that one of the most popular phrases in the last, I don't know, last seven, eight, nine, ten years for church plants when they launch is in whatever city you're in, in Greensboro, in Jamestown, that's where our zip code is here, as it is in heaven. That's one of the most fa favorite taglines uh, for a church plant going right now. And what they're saying is that we want our area, we want it to be just like it is in heaven. Your will be done here. What I'm saying for you and I this morning, we could say it for our church, but starting with you as individuals, me as an individual, God, your will be done. I don't know if you're like me. I can articulate my will pretty well, right? If not to you, certainly I can to me, real well to me. And Jesus knows that. He knows it so well. So he challenges us. He says, look, before we move on, 
before we get into where you're like petitioning anything, certainly before we get on to that list that he already knows about, let's just stop and remember your will be done. Why? Because if we really believe in his greatness, it would follow that his ways are better than ours. It would follow that the way he has plotted things out, the way he has thought things out, the way he has designed for me to walk in either in a path scripted or in a choose the way you want, Tom, just choose like I would choose as your heavenly father. It's better that way, it would seem. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples this. It's really the opposite sometimes of how we pray, right? We kind of acknowledge our list and our petitions. Listen, I know what you're saying, and you're right. You're like, but Tom, these are real legitimate things I'm asking for prayer for. Like, I'm not asking for prayer for a new car. I'm asking the Lord to heal my neighbor or, you know, bring somebody to Christ. And, those, and I'm like, I'm right there with you. Let's keep praying for those. But let's not forget how Jesus is teaching us to walk into the relationship, the real relationship with God through prayer that's not fully developed simply by walking through our petitions. So then the purpose of prayer, as we've talked, is to align our wills with God's will. That's what I'm doing first of all. I'm surrendering my will to God's will and lining that up. And here's the thing I've learned. Maybe you've learned this as well. I don't know. We don't line up our wills by God coming down and getting behind my will. It works the other way around. I get behind his and conform. Everything in this prayer, everything Jesus is going to teach us following this assumes surrender. It assumes surrender after this. So what comes next? Well, you might remember last week we talked about this thing. Give us this day. Give us today. Ah, Finally. My stuff, Lord. <laughs> Finally, I get to ask for my stuff. But it turns out, as we learned last week, Jesus is not taking prayer requests at this point. Jesus is teaching us how to seek God and how to ask of God in these areas. The first area was provision. Give us today, what? Our daily bread. Now, I don't know about you. If we were to take it literally and like all you get is bread, that's all God's given you. So you can have bread. Now, I don't know. Some of you might love bread. So you might like, praise the Lord. But I imagine we might get a little sick of it. They remembered their ancestors when they heard this in the wilderness coming out of their tents and getting manna and God saying, collect what you need for today. This is your daily bread. So Lord, give us what we need today. We're dependent upon you. But God also told them, look, there's going to come a day when you have so much, people will come to you for food and you will be giving them their daily bread. Don't think for a minute, though, that I am not the provider of that as well. So we are declaring our dependence on God in a simple statement. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, I don't want to go in need. I don't want to be in need in my daily bread. I also don't want to be in greed. So, Lord, you give what I need. And then he, he goes to the second thing that challenged us, this idea of pardon and forgive us our debts as we, have, we also have forgiven our debtors. And we're challenged with this idea. Look, if you're going to come to God and God is going to forgive you for what you might be owed because of the way you chose or lived or what you decided before, if he is going to forgive you of that, 
and we're going to withhold that from someone else. What we think we do is I'm surrendering for God because I asked for forgiveness, but then I turn right around and I surrender myself before that person and decide to hold on to that. And God said the better way in cultivating this relationship with God, who he always uses to help us with other people, let me forgive you, come to me for those, and now you turn around and do it for others. It's interesting, this word uh, debts. Uh, anybody grow up with trespasses? You, you said the Lord's Prayer with trespasses? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a United Methodist uh, influence on liturgy, and so there's a lot of holiness groups that uh, use this. Um, the word for trespass in Greek is uh, hamartano, and it means to miss the mark or to err. And so you might have heard that in the terms of sin before. The sin is to miss the mark, create a separation and therefore, most of the times that word in Greek is used, it is translated sin. There's a couple times in the King James especially where it's translated trespasses, likely where it's been pulled into liturgy and we recite the Lord's Prayer that way. But the word debt is probably closer to the actual word in Greek in the Bible. Aphalema is the word, and it means that which is owed. Debt. You're going to forgive what's owed. God is going to forgive what's owed. When I wrong somebody, I owe them. But it's going to be forgiven. And that's what we're challenged to do. We forgive what's owed. You know what this is for us? It's a posture of surrender before God. Not a surrender to someone else because I won't forgive or to a situation, but surrendering to God as this is better life. Now, we go in more detail last week, so I encourage you to listen to that because we want to focus on this last one we didn't get to, protection. This is what Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And I told you, maybe reworded as we look at this, we'd say, Lord, lead us not into temptation because we can find enough on our own. <laughs> so don't help the cause along. Let me tell you how it breaks down in the, in the, in the Greek so, so you can see how. If we were to say it just like it's said in the language, it would read like this. And not let us lead into. Uh, so you can see how the English needed to do a little work with that so that we can get the concept. And this word for lead into is isphero. This word actually has kind of like a to be word, a to be verb attached to it, compound word. Um, so it would read like this for us. And not let us to be led into. And what, what the gist is getting at is Jesus is, is, is not necessarily saying, and God, you yourself, please don't lead me into temptation. But it's saying, Lord, could you not allow me to be led into temptation? Lord, could you remove barriers that lead me into temptation? Can you remove situations that would be tempting to me? Can you halt things before I even get that far? Deliver us, he says after that, from the evil one. Now, evil one, uh, we often think just that's the devil, right? We put a proper noun on, on top of it. And I think there's certainly that influence. But the idea of evil one is this. Anyone that is going against God's ways can serve as an evil one in that situation. And so anyone that's trying to steer you away from God, tempting you away from his ways, can serve as an evil one. Deliver us from that. So listen to what Jesus is saying here is, when you pray, 
pray, God, don't let me be led into temptation. God, I know that in too many tempting situations, I'm going to blow it. Are you with me? Is that you too? Lord, don't put me in those. Lord, would you pull me out of those? Because usually what we do is we get into them, we fall and we struggle, right? And that's just what happens in life. Then we're asking for God to rescue you. And if you're in that situation today, go to God and ask him to rescue you. He wants you to come. But what Jesus is teaching us, let's get ahead of the game. When you go, remember where? To your room and you close the door and you quietly shut out the world to be with God. Within that time that you're talking with God, say, and God, when I'm not in this room, would you remove tempting situations from me? Now, there's different kind of tempting situations, right? There's some that we cause, and there's some you just run into, you didn't cause them. And probably there's a mixture of both of these uh, in here. For the ones that you didn't cause, and we enter those often, right? Can I remind you of Hebrews 4.15? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, what, has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Like, like there's actually an example for you and I of somebody who is 100% human, who walked and was tempted in the same ways you and I are tempted, and yet did not give over to it. Did not allow that temptation to create any separation, that's what the word sin means, any separation between him and God. You have, and I have an example to look to. So that, the next verse, let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we will, may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you have a time of need, God is there to offer you grace and mercy, to offer you what he's, what he's designed, what he's there to give us, even in the times where we don't stand quite as strong as Christ stood. Grace means to bestow favor. Mercy is kindness. That's what he's given us. How about a time of need when we're tempted? That sounds like a time of need that he offers us. But there's also that idea of us putting ourselves in situations of temptation. D do you think about this often? That, that, that in, uh, sometimes in a word, what, what we say is, I'll just jump into this, and if I mess up, well, God is there. He loves me. His grace is wonderful, and he'll forgive me. And here's the danger. It's developing, whether conscious or unconscious, this thought. Sin now, ask forgiveness later. Or maybe how you've heard it, maybe in your work setting, or when you're trying to get something, it is easier to ask for forgiveness than to get permission. It's a similar type of thinking. Can I just tell you this morning, a God who created such an incredible loophole in his system that he knows all you need to do is you can just go do whatever you want in whatever way you want because you know his hand will be forced when you turn to him, meaning it or not, and say, Lord, forgive me. That is not the almighty God. That's not the name that we hallow and that we lift up. 
In fact, there, there's, there's a couple words that, um, in the Bible, there's two words that they mean the exact same thing, but we've done something to them. Um, there are two different words in the Greek, but they mean the same thing. One is to follow. It's the idea of when Jesus comes to his disciples and says, follow me, and the disciples were to like surrender, leave their way of life and follow in Jesus's way, trusting he was going to teach them, he was going to ask of them, and they were going to follow, they were going to do it. And we see that in the Gospels. And it's the word believe as well. Uh, the word believe uh, in, in there, we even get challenged with it. Even the demons believe God exists. So believe means something different. It means something deeper that when I believe on something, it means, like, I believe, I am totally invested in it. I'm totally surrendered that, uh, that idea, and therefore, it's going to dictate my actions, where I go and what I do as well. These two words are almost the same through the New Testament. But you know what we've done? We've been very clever here. Follow, about the same definition, right? In fact, we usually say, uh, believe, but no, no, I mean, be, really be a follower, Right? But then we've taken this word believe and we've kind of pulled it away. And the word believe just simply means, I don't know, I, I believe in it. I, th I think it's there. Like, I believe you'll probably watch football this afternoon. It's the playoffs, right? Maybe not all of you, but, uh, you know, a lot of you, I, probably, I believe you probably will. Listen, I'm not surrendering before you or that idea, right? So if you don't, you don't. It's no big deal. That's how we've, where we've put believe. And so a lot of times when we say, I still believe, I believe in God, we don't mean the same thing as follow. And that's where this, the, the danger of, of ideas like sin now, ask forgiveness later, because I, I believe in a, a theology and kind of a path, and even if I have to use it and manipulate a little bit, but to follow, to follow is to come to God and say, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. I don't want to be led into temptation. I don't, I don't want to be in temptation. I want to be delivered from evil because I know, I know if I keep putting myself in that situation, that's not the best place for me. A couple questions that go along with this. What leads? Who leads? And why do you lead? Why do I lead? What leads? Like, what is it that leads you to temptation? Like, do you think about that? Like, is there something in your life that, that, like, that is an avenue that leads you to temptation? It, it's not sin in and of itself, right? But it leads you to temptation. How about who leads? Like, is there a relationship? Is there someone that, that they just seem to leave you down that path? Or is it an ideal or image through commercials or movies or whatever else, uh, some, some other avenue? Who leads you? Why do you lead? Why do you lead yourself to temptation? Why is it that as Christians sometimes we feel like we could just keep sticking ourselves in all of these crazy environments and, and places that might bring temptation along and think we won't be affected in any way? What leads? Who leads? Why do you lead? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what temptation does? It attempts to rob you of life. That's what it's trying to do. So if we let it be, temptation can be the threshold to loss in our life. But the opposite is true for following. 
Choosing to follow Jesus will be the threshold to life. And it doesn't mean that every tempting situation we'll avoid the rest of our life. But it means we'll stop putting ourselves in many situations that we need, need to put ourselves in the first place. We didn't allow somebody else to lead us or something else to lead us. It means the things that were led into temptation, the times where we are tempted, Jesus has been there with us. He's walking into it with us. So how should we pray? Jesus says this, when you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great is your name. I honor your name. I lift you up before me, and I get to call you Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your ways, Lord, your will, not my own. The biggest surrender there. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, would you give me what I need, that I might have what I need today, that also wouldn't have too much that could turn to greed. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, or we have also forgiven our debtors. Lord, help me to be one who forgives. May I keep coming to you and seeking forgiveness for my own. And lead us not into temptation. Lord, I don't want to be in, tem in temptation. I don't want to be in tempting environments. But deliver me from the evil one who's seeking to devour me and take life. This is how we pray. Can I remind you how this prayer ends? Do you know how it ends? There's a little benediction, little tag that, that, that shows up right after this in the scripture. Um, and we've been saying it our whole life, right? Um, but that's not the ending. In fact, that is probably put in by a scribe. In fact, if you look at your Bible, you might have a little asterisk or star or a little letter or number that tells you that might have been inserted later by a scribe or your translation might have pulled it out all together. Where does this end? Uh, it just did. That's it. Jesus doesn't have any flowery benediction. He doesn't even say amen, the nerve of that guy, right? He continues now on teaching people and he turns it incredibly practical the rest of the way. He starts to teach them how to interact with these things you and I deal with every day. Do you see what he's saying? Look, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Now let me teach you a lot of practical things that you're going to encounter in your life. And he rolls this prayer right into practical teaching. Can I suggest to you that when you go before God and you close the door to your room like he suggests, close out the world, and you pray and you start with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We'll forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. That you are actually empowering yourself in your relationship with God to now walk right out into the practical situations we deal with every day. And you are going to walk out into it with the next most important thing this real relationship with God that you have developed through prayer. And we just encounter things different in this world when we're in a real relationship with God. So here's what I want to do. I want to just pray for you this morning. Um, and it could be that for you this morning, like light bulbs went on, God said something, God spoke something. I hope it was him and his words, not mine. And I just want to give you a little opportunity to say to the Lord, Lord, I surrender before you in this area. Whatever it is he said to you, 
and how you did it. If this morning you're like, there's just a barrier to me being able to pray like this. In that quiet time, will you just ask, God, what is that barrier? Ask him let to reveal, make it be clear so you know how to process that and deal with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you challenge us. Lord, you challenge us in ways that sometimes we would rather not be challenged. And a simple question, a simple statement, Lord, teach us to pray from the disciples would have challenged the disciples' assumptions about prayer, how it should be done, what should be said. Oh, Lord, you've taught us the same way you taught the disciples. And Father, my hope is at very least that Windover Hills would be known for this group of, of, of believers who are wanting to have a real relationship with you, growing in it every day. And that, and that we're so enthused by this, Lord, that we can't help but go into our other settings and tell people about it and invite people to come along and hear about it themselves. Lord, I think this starts with this kind of prayer. And Father, as we'll learn next week, Lord, you open up the door for coming then and asking. But Lord, may we walk through this that develops a real relationship and not jump over this into something that, if we're not careful, can be consumeristic. Lord, I want you to just here from the folks of Wendover Hills is whatever you spoke to them about or let them, this is your time now. Would you go before the Lord? Lord, we thank you that your ear is open to even to even us. We pray in your son's name. Amen.